I'm excited to preach this message to you today. Um, last week, Pastor Matt gave an awesome message uh, called Broken Vessels. How many of you were here for that? Remember that? Um, if you were, I guarantee you, you remember the moment where he took the, the pottery jar and he even told us, I'm about to do this. This is coming. And it was still shocking. It like sent a shockwave through the church when you hear a jar of pottery just shatter on the floor. It was like, oh, whoo. I was like, I don't know if that was just physical or if I was feeling some spiritual reverberate, but that was, that was shocking and it was powerful. And he talked about how really we're all broken vessels out of Jeremiah 18 uh, through chapter 20. And he talked about how Psalm 51 says, a broken and contrite heart the Lord will not despise. Humility is beautiful to God. And so Jesus is looking for a people who will admit their need, who will desire dependency, who agree with Jesus that apart from him, we can do nothing. And as independent, self-reliant American people, uh, that is something we need to constantly drill through our, our thick skulls. Amen. God's looking for people who seek his face always because his presence is the very air that we breathe. He sustains all things by his powerful word. And as Matt preached this message last week, um, my heart was powerfully stirred about a very significant time in my life where I was a very broken vessel and where God broke me on purpose. And I was a little upset with him about that at the time. Um, but now I've become extremely thankful for that season of my life. And I felt led to share kind of what I went through and the scripture that he wove into that time of my life. He set me up with the scripture. And then to give me understanding, I was asking him for understanding, what does this mean? And he, instead of telling me the answer, instead of leading me to a book with some information, he took me through an experience in my life that showed me what it meant. And that scripture that's become very precious to me is Isaiah chapter 30. And so I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 30, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. Um, and then we're going to talk through it a little bit, and I'm going to share some of my story from that season in my life. And I want to preach kind of a part two of this uh, message that Matt gave called Broken Vessels. So Isaiah chapter 30, it says this, Woe to the obstinate children declares the Lord to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. And I feel like maybe I'm supposed to explain it as we go. The word obstinate there in the original language means stubbornly refusing to change one's opinion or a chosen course of action. And here's the key part, despite attempts to persuade one to do so. So obstinate is an authority figure, a parent, or in this case, God is trying to get your attention. He is speaking to you that you need to change your course of action, that you're veering off the path, but you're not, it's not only you're not listening, you're ignoring him and you're kind of, this spirit of rebellion is rising up and you're choosing to ignore the Lord. And that's what the nation of Israel was doing. And it reminded me as I was preparing for this message of the Apostle Paul's testimony. When he was a man named Saul, Jesus changed his name. And he was persecuting the church. He was very self-righteous, a Pharisee of Pharisee, which at their time, equivalent of a doctor's doctorate degree in not only theology, but also law. Uh, they were lawyers. They were judges. They were also um, you know, kind of like priests and teachers of the law, teachers of the word of God. They were all of those things in this culture. And Paul was like a Pharisee of Pharisee, one of the top dogs. And he believed the Christians were wrong. He believed Jesus was not the Messiah. And so he traveled around persecuting the church and he would even put them on trial because he had authority from the government to even put them to death. And he orchestrated that several times. In fact, the first martyr, Stephen, it says a young man named Saul was stood at the, the uh, where the coats were being collected. So when they would stone someone, they'd take off their coats so they could throw better, literally. And they would lay their coats at the feet of the authority figure who was giving permission. And in this case, it was Saul. And Jesus said, the apostle Paul is telling his story to a king named Agrippa in the book of Acts. And he said, um, when Jesus confronted him on his way to Damascus to continue persecuting the church, Jesus appears to him. 
and he hears an audible voice from heaven. And he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And I want to encourage you, church. He was persecuting the church, and Jesus took it personally. And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus. And if you mess with my people, you're messing with me. That's encouraging for us today, church. And so the apostle Paul uh, heard this voice say this to him. And then Jesus said this, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, when I was young coming up and I read that verse, I'm like, what does that even mean? And I had to research that and look that up. He's speaking of a, an ox goad, which was a stick that they would sharpen the point. And when you're working with, with an ox, an animal in the field to do work, you know, if it's kind of not doing what you want or maybe it stops, you're plowing the field and it stops in front, you just take your stick and just kind of poke it a little bit. You're not trying to harm it. You're just saying, hey, come on, let's, let's get going. If it starts to veer off, you might take that stick out to the side and kind of poke it in the side. I'm like, oh, no, let's go back this way. And you would goad it. You would do it gently because it's got a sharp point. So it feel, you don't need to do it hard. But if you had an obstinate ox, an ox is like, no, I'm not going to do what you would say. Oftentimes you'd poke that animal and that ox would kick back. When the ox would kick back, the stick that's already there would be driven in to its hindquarters and the ox would harm itself by kicking against the gentle prodding of the master. And so Jesus is saying, here, and here's the revelation. And I wish we knew the details of this in the Apostle Paul's life. But this is what Jesus was saying. Saul, I have been trying to get your attention. I've been gently prodding you. My Holy Spirit has been whispering to you and drawing you. Those questions that rise are rising up in you. You know, maybe the Christians are right, but what if Jesus is the Messiah? Hey, Saul, guess what? That is me, and you've been ignoring it, and you've been kicking against my goods, and it's hard for you. And what he's saying is, Saul, you're only harming yourself. When you kick against, when you buck against, when you rebel against my voice, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. And so because Jesus loved Saul, because he loved him, because he wanted him as his son to adopt him, because he wanted him as a chosen vessel to preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ and hello, right most of the New Testament of the Bible. Jesus did not give up on him. But Saul's salvation was traumatic. Anybody in the room, I'm always kind of a little jealous of people who have the gentle, beautiful salvations. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I've been a good person my whole life, and then I just realized, oh, I need Jesus too, though. And, and, I, and I'm just going to accept the Lord. And I prayed, and he just filled me, and I was just so happy. And I'm like, that was, I thought I was going to die, and I thought I'm going to go to hell, and so I cry out to the Lord, and he saved me, but I was a pretty broken person for a while after that. I'm like, whoo, I almost went to hell there. That was great. It felt a little traumatic. (laughs) The apostle Paul was traumatized by the Lord Jesus. In fact, to use Pastor Matt's analogy from last week, when he gets confronted on the way to Damascus, it's like he's that pot and Jesus picked him up and like, hey, uh, hey, Saul, you know, I love you, right? Bam! Shatters him. Shatters his idea of what the truth is. Shatters his pride. Totally breaks him as a person. He's blind for three days. He has to humble himself to the point that a man named Ananias, who had no standing in the church, it'd be like God, you know, saves the leader of ISIS today, who I don't even know who that is, but God saves him. And he doesn't tell Pastor Aaron to go. He just picks one of you and goes, hey, uh, I want you to go and pray for the leader of ISIS. And I'm going to restore his sight and he's going to get saved and become a preacher and start churches and do amazing things. But you, you normal Christian, not a leader in the church, no standing in the church, you. Why? Because those who are least in the kingdom of God, whoo, that's why, 
are greater than the powers and authorities and the people of status in this world. That's why. Because it's a kingdom of priests. Jesus said, don't call each other master or father because, because you're all brothers. He's not saying you can't call your dad your dad. He's saying, don't look at a, that an authority figure and go, oh, you're my father, like spiritually. Like, he's like, no, you're all brothers. It's a kingdom of priests. And so God sends Ananias, and Paul had to humble himself to receive a prayer from this man. And then, but boom, he sees the power and authority. What kind of power is this? That just normal level Christian can pray and scales fall off of my eyes. And I get, I get saved and I get filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. I've heard testimonies from occult people who are high up in the occult. Who have power and authority in the occult. But they had to work to get there. And they had to do all these horrible things to get there. And then they meet an average Christian and they get radically saved. And, and I heard a recent testimony of this. And this man who was very high up in the country of Uganda said, he said, I thought to myself, what kind of power is this? What kind of power is this? I've never encountered power from this one person just praying. Wow, what kind of power is this? And so the apostle Paul is humbled. Jesus shatters him in that moment. But Jesus is getting his attention. Isaiah chapter 30 goes on. This is what the nation of Israel is doing at this time in history. They're being obstinate. Jesus has been trying to get their attention and they're kicking against the goats. And this is what God says. He says, woe to those, the obstinate children, starting in verse 2 now, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will be, bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in zone and their envoys have arrived in Hanes, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who neither help nor advantage, but only shame, who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. God's like, you have spiritual problems, and instead of humbling yourself, you're, going, you're trying to fix your spiritual problems by natural means, with natural people, with worldly methods, and through worldly leaders to, to gain help. And that's what they were doing. Instead of seeking God to help them with their issues, they were going to Egypt, which was the richest, powerful, you know, most powerful nation at this time. So he says, verse six, a prophecy concerning the animals of the Negev through a land of hardship and distress of lions and lionesses of adders and darting snakes. The envoys carry their riches on donkeys backs, their treasures on the humps of camels to that unprofitable nation to Egypt who his help is utterly useless. Therefore, I call her Rahab the do-nothing. Go, write it down on a tablet for them. Inscribe it on a scroll that for the days to come, it may be an everlasting witness. For these are a rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophecy illusions. Leave this way, get off this path, and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. God's people at this time, they didn't stop worshiping God. They were still going to synagogue. They were still learning the word of God. They were doing the rituals that he was telling them to do. But they were also engaging in all the rituals of the culture. They were engaging in all the religions of the culture. Uh, they, were, they were doing the immoral practices of the culture, sexual immoralities. They were sex, uh, sacrificing their children in the fire. Their children would be born. They would literally put them on altars to foreign gods and literally burn them to death as a sacrifice to these foreign gods. God's like, I didn't tell you to do that, nor did it ever enter my mind for you to do that. And so God, how many of you know when you come into a relationship with Jesus, it's a covenant. It's like a marriage. And God's like, I don't, you can't try other, all faiths are not equal. All faiths are not the same. There is power in other faiths. It's dark power. It's demonic power. There is one true God. There's one good God. There's one God who is love and his name is Jesus. Christianity is way. The Bible is his word. Judaism was the precursor. It was the setup. Right? We're all spiritual sons and daughters of Judaism. You realize that. Christianity, is they're not separate. It's the fulfillment of it. Okay? So that's the reality. And his people were cheating on him. And he's like, no, you're polluted. You're, you're self-deceived. 
You're deceiving yourself. Because here's what they were doing. Oh, I'll worship God. I'll do what he says. But then outside of synagogue, outside of what we would call church, they're really just living their lives however they want to live. They're really doing whatever they want to do. They were deceiving themselves. God's like, you think you're worshiping me, so you think you're right with me. You think you're going to heaven, but really you're just living how you want. You're deceived. You're worshiping a false God that you are calling Yahweh because, but in reality, it's not true Yahweh. It's, it's something you've made up. It's a God you've made in your own image because you're defining who he is. And if you've been to this church for any length of time, you've probably heard me say, we don't get to define who God is. We can only discover him. I am that I am. He is who he is. This word of God, the revealed word of God, that he had people that really interacted with him in history, write down. He's revealing himself through history. Jesus is the fullness of that, the fullness of deity and bodily form. That's why a mentor of mine told me one time, he said, other than my normal Bible reading, I always read two chapters from the gospel every single day. He said, because my life is supposed to reflect the life of Christ. And so I need to know the life of Christ inside and out. And I started doing that recently. And it is really, really awesome. And so I highly recommend that. We need to know the life of Jesus because Jesus is God revealed in the flesh. They were not worshiping him. They were being idolatrous. And I want to... give a gentle warning and also encourage you uh, with a revelation the Lord gave me through my own experience and through this word. They were under the spirits of rebellion and delusion. Rebellion and delusion will work together to get you to think you're worshiping God, but it's really on your own terms. So when God brings correction through his word or a friend or a pastor who's lovingly going, that's, that's not of, of the Lord, when you're under these spirits, you get offended instead of getting corrected. The scriptures say that a wise person loves correction. He says if you rebuke a fool, you're going to incur their wrath. But if you rebuke a wise person, they will add to their learning. And so if we're wise today, we, it, let me say it this way. It is, a dang, it is dangerous for a Christian to only want to hear the positive, loving, encouraging parts of God's word. Now, God is positive, he is loving, and he is encouraging. So there's a whole lot of that in this, in this word of God. But it is dangerous for us to only want that. And anytime we hear something that sounds negative, well, that sounds like God's judgment. Well, that sounds like, you know, I don't know about that. That doesn't make me feel very good. If that's true, then one of my friends isn't right with God and they might go to hell. Is that what that means? I don't like the thought of that, and so I'm going to believe something different. And we have, especially in Western European nations, a whole lot of Christians basing who they think God is and how faith works on their feelings and what they want to be true versus what is actually true. And so we need to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the word of God and take God at his word. He is who he is. So these people were self-deceived, and then it's so, it's so nefarious because when you're under delusion and rebellion, you hear someone actually preaching the true word of God, you get offended at them, and then you start coming against them. Well, they're not of God. They're this, you know, the Pharisees said, oh, Jesus drives out demons. They were jealous of his power and ability to drive out demons, and they said, well, it's by, it's by Beelzebub that he drives out Beelzebub. It's by the devil that he drives out the devil. It's demonic power. That's what they were saying. And Jesus is like, that don't even make sense. That don't even make sense. Kingdom divided cannot stand. If Satan drives out Satan, like, what are you talking about? But if I drive them out by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God really is among you. And Jesus is saying, my power and ability is evidence that I'm under the authority of the one true God. It's evidence that I'm aligned with him. And deliverance, man, I, that Catholic priest I interviewed, the exorcist, he, he told me something really interesting about deliverance. He said, you know, other forms of ministry, the sac- they call them the sacraments and the rites. He's like, you can administer that and like you can have some sin in your life and, and still do those things for the Lord and it'll work. He's like, for example, marriage. If I have some sin in my life, I can marry someone and they're married. Like it worked, they're married. <laughs> And I bless them, they're blessed, right? 
He's like, I can administer the Lord's Supper, and it'll bless the people who are taking it. He's like, but if I have sin in my life, and I try to do deliverance, it ain't going to (laughs) work. Those demons will know that, and they're going to mess with me, and they're going to find that open door in my life, and they're going to attack me. So I find it interesting that Jesus used deliverance. If I can drive out demons, it's evidence of something. Y'all are getting a lot of sermons today. Anyways, that's not the point of today. So the people wanted what they wanted. And that's the golden calf story all over again. We just, we'll call it Yahweh. We'll call it one true God. We'll call it Jesus. But it's in our own. We've decided what it's going to look like. It's rebellion and it's delusion working together. And that's real, real, real dangerous because when you're deceived and someone tries to correct, you get offended, and then you, you get even further. So therefore, verse 12, this is what God says. This is how I'm going to respond. And I want to remind you, God is love, so everything he does is love. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you've rejected this message, relied on oppression, and depended on deceit. This sin will become for you like a high wall cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces, not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. In 2005, my wife and I had just gotten married, and we were about five weeks into our marriage. We were just over a month being married. And in my normal Bible reading devotions for the day, I came across Isaiah 30, and I read that passage right there about this sin's going to become like a high wall cracked and bulging, and when it breaks, it's going to shatter mercilessly. And there's not even going to be a shard left for scooping coals out of a fire or water. And it... I can't explain it, but it stirred my spirit deeply. And there's some comforting words later on, and those sounded so precious, but I knew there was a connection, and I didn't know what the connection was. And so I was like, Lord, what does this mean? Like, what is this high wall? And Lord, what is, what do you mean it's going to shatter mercilessly? And it like broken in pieces, tiny little pieces. God, what does this mean? And for about two weeks, I moved on with my Bible reading program. But every day, every other day or so, I would come back and I would read this again and I would feel very stirred again. And I would ask the Lord again, Lord, what does this mean? What does it mean? Now, James 1, 5 says that if anyone, anyone, anyone in this room, anyone, ask God for wisdom, God will give it. It says without finding fault. That means God doesn't look at you and go, oh, you're not good enough. I'm not answering you. No, it's saying without finding fault. If anybody asks God for wisdom, give me wisdom in this. Give me discernment. God, show me what the truth is. Reveal yourself to me. God, help me make the right decision. Which is the right decision? Will you show me? He will answer you. And I knew that. And I had done that at that time. And he would answer me. And I think it's part of my teaching gift. When I come across something in scripture, I was like, I want to understand this. I was looking for information. Sometimes when you ask God for wisdom, he doesn't answer you with a spoken word or with information or a book or I was looking for a commentary that would just explain it. I'm like, oh, that's nice. And then I can move on. God answered my plea for wisdom, but he did it through an experience. And his spirit stirring me for a few weeks as I read this scripture, it was really a setup. It was a setup to get me curious, to get me to ask, so that he had permission to absolutely shatter my vase. So I'd been asking, we'd been married about five weeks, and this one night my wife had a dream. And she woke me up, and she was very animated, and uh, she's like, hey, I just had this dream. What do you think it means? She proceeds to tell me the whole dream. And she said, the dream is, was I was walking through the woods. It was a beautiful day, just picturesque day. The sun was shining. The birds were chirping. You know, it sounded like a Disney movie, you know, da, 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 you know. And she said, it was just like, oh. And she said she was stepping over this fallen log. And as she stepped over it, she looked down at this fallen log. 
and there, her vision zoomed into a microscopic level, and she said it was like, like looking under a microscope in the fallen log. She saw bacteria and amoeba floating around like those pictures in the science books that show you what that stuff looks like. And amidst the bacteria and amoeba swimming around, she said there was a small green snake swimming. And when she saw the green snake, she thought, well, that's interesting because obviously snakes are not actually that small. And she heard a voice say, it's small, but it can destroy. And she woke up. Now, you don't have to be a seasoned Christian to know that's a prophetic dream. (laughs) That means something. That is the Lord. Scripture says the Lord speaks to us through dreams and visions. He did it pre-Jesus, and he's still doing it post-Jesus. It's part of the spiritual gifts he gives. There's people, he'll speak to anybody and everybody through a dream or a vision. People with the spiritual gift of uh, prophetic dreams and visions, dreamers, they, they just have them like all the time. Okay? So my wife has one. We didn't have a lot of dreams back then, so it was very significant. She woke me up, tells me a dream. What do you think it means? I was like, wow, that's crazy. I don't know, and let's go back to sleep. (laughs) And we did. And the next day, she reminded me of it. I didn't even remember (laughs) her waking me up, uh, which is par for the course still to this day. And so she tells me again, man, I have this dream. What do you think it means? I'm like, man, I don't know. That's just crazy. Yeah, I don't know what it means. And then she goes, wow. Well, you know, I know guys sometimes struggle in their thought life. So how have you been doing? And I was just thinking, immediately I got defensive. I'm like, why is this about me all of a sudden, you know? (laughs) And I gave her some generic answer that, you know, we had been dating since we were 14 years old. We grew up going to church. We went to youth conferences together. We landed at a Christian college. We had chapel three times a week. And so our lives were constant. These types of issues were frequently from time to time brought up. And so we would have conversations, and I would give her the pat answer. And I said that day something like, well, I'm not struggling in any way that, you know, most other guys don't struggle. I mean, it's like, I'm just like everybody else. Get off my back. Leave me alone. That's what I was trying trying to say. Well, that was the wrong thing to say, okay? She goes, well, what does that mean? And she begins to pepper me with questions. And... I love the Lord, and I was really trying not to lie. (laughs) But her questions got really specific, and then they got to yes or no. Have you ever done this, yes or no? (laughs) I'm fumbling over my words at this point, and she smells blood. And it's like she goes, hmm. She gets her gun out, sights me in. I smell something. And she just keeps asking questions. And honestly, I was getting upset. And so I got frustrated. And I was like, fine. You want to know? You want to know what it's like to be me? And out of frustration, I thought, I'll tell you. And I just started, I said, it started when I was 11 years old. And I started to confess to her anything I'd ever done uh, with pornography, sexually, thought life, masturbation, those types of things from the time I was 11. Now, that is when it started. It became a stronghold in my life, and it was something I struggled with every single day of my life almost until maybe six months before we got married. And then you have this motivation, and then you get married, and and y'all, we've been married five weeks, and let me just tell you, I was not struggling at the time, okay? Because I was focused on my wife, right? And so I confess all this to her. And here's what happened that day. And I didn't realize it at the time. It was like the Lord took both of our vases in his hands. And he looked at me and he goes, Aaron, you know I love you, right? Yeah, Lord, I love you. Bam! Shattered. And my confession also shattered her vase. And so we were both shattered that day absolutely broken. As I said, we dated since we were 14. And so a lot of the things I was confessing um, was when I was dating her. And so she's like, that felt like infidelity. It felt like adultery to her. Um, And she even said to me that night, you know, the Bible says if someone even looks lustfully at a woman, they've committed adultery. She goes, you are an adulterer. And I just go, because I was already shattered. I was just like, yeah, you're right. I am. 
And that, it broke me. It's like, that is what I am. And here's the deal. I grew up going to church. I go to youth group, going to youth conferences. I'd hear sermons about this subject. And I had invitations from an awesome youth pastor, from other youth leaders, from men of God. Hey, if you're struggling with this, let's talk about it. Just talk about it. It will help. You know, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, and you will be healed. And there was something in me that would just clam up whenever that was mentioned. And I just thought, nope. And I wanted to be free. I wanted to be healed of whatever that thing was that I just couldn't overcome. But I didn't trust anyone enough to talk to them about it. And so I just act like I didn't struggle. And I never talked about it. I never talked to anybody about it. Nobody. Not one time. And that was part of the reason that I stayed in that stronghold. And what happens is, when you have justified sin in your life, one of the most dangerous things that happens is you start to not hear the voice of God. You know why? Because he comes gently. He'll start with a whisper. And then he'll get his ox goat out. (laughs) And be like, hey, he'll start poking you. And you're like, oh, that's kind of uncomfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. So you start shutting him out. You start shutting his voice out. And over time, you get desensitized to the sin. You get desensitized to the voice of God. And then you start to get desensitized to the culture. And then you start to think, well, the culture's not that bad. And then you start to see worse and worse things. And you're like, well, that's really not that bad. All because you're actually justifying sin in the darkness of your own heart. And that's why confession's so powerful because what, what really broke me that day was saying out loud the things I had done. And I said them as it was. I have done this. And it horrified me to, in the darkness of your own heart, you can justify so much. But if you say out loud to another person, I have done this right here. It's like, it does something to your brain and your soul, and it, you see it for how ugly it is. And I was so shattered that day. For me, it was like an Isaiah 6 moment, only, you know, you know what I'm saying? He saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the first thing that happens is he becomes aware of his own sinfulness. That'll ruin you right there. In church culture, we talk about wanting a breakthrough. Oh God, I want a breakthrough. I just feel far from you. I want to be closer to you. I want to know you more. We sing songs about it. And we think God's going to answer with information. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he answers with a good pleasant experience that's great but I think sometimes what is necessary those are dangerous prayers to pray because sometimes what's necessary is we need absolutely shattered you want to know God more sometimes what he needs to do is show you the depth of your own sinfulness and you bring it into the light and you see it for how bad it is and you go whoa And that'll break you. That'll ruin you. But then what happens in Isaiah 6, the angel comes and puts a burning coal in his mouth. And he says there, he says, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Now, did he have a cursing problem, a complaining problem? Did he worship false gods too, along with the people? And their names were he, oh, I love you, God, Jesus, Yahweh. But I also love Baal, and I also love Ashtoreth, and I also love Chemosh, and I also love Dagon. I don't know what his sin was, but he had a problem with his mouth. And the angel, after he's shattered, after he's broken, woe to me. Like, I deserve hell. Oh, my goodness. The angel comes and absolves him. There, your sins are taken away. He purifies him. But, man, your lips are one of the most sensitive parts of your body. And a hot, cold touch in those. Let me just tell you, that Isaiah 6 moment. Some of you have been praying, God, I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you. But, man, the presence of the holy is traumatic for those who are unholy. That was a traumatic vision. Woe to me. Woe to me. Woe to me. And that's R.C. Sproul said that. The presence of the holy is traumatic for those who are unholy. And that's 
That's what I got that day. My wife was confronting me with the Holy One of Israel. And I got upset about it. I was like, leave me alone. You want to know? Broke me. It broke her. And she said things like, you're an adulterer. I was like, you're right. And I said this, though. I go, not anymore. I said, I'm a new creation. I'm different. I literally said that day. I'm different now. The day I'm confessing. I'm different now. But I'm not kidding you, church. I felt it. Because as the confession came out, this weight was being lifted. And I was like, finally. It's like I was trapped for 10 years of my life, and I didn't know how to get out. And the Lord was goading me, just talk to somebody. I was like, I don't want to. So I stayed trapped. Some of you, you want out of what you're trapped in, and the Lord's showing you what to do, but you don't want to do the thing that he's shown you to do because you're like, that'll be uncomfortable and painful. And you will stay in that position unless and until you get uncomfortable. You want freedom more than you want discomfort. And so it was this, at the same time, a horrifying experience and an exhilarating experience. It was like, oh, this is awful, but oh, I finally feel free and I am free. In that moment, I wanted to mark that moment, and I I wanted to take it seriously because I knew something significant was happening. And so I actually had hair at the time, longer hair. I buzzed it. I went in the bathroom that night. I buzzed it with clippers, and I was like, I'm doing a seven-day fast, which at that time I'd never done with water only. And I was a total spiritual noob, newbie, you know. And, uh, and so I only got about three days in and I was like, I'm dying. And so I started, I started drinking juice and I finished it with juice and liquids. Um, but at that time it was a marking season. Now, when I say I was shattered, I was shattered and I, I lost, when you get shown the depths of your own sinfulness, you, you, you lose trust in yourself and that's a difficult place to be. Um, you lose all confidence um, for a year or two, little over a year maybe, um, I could not look a woman, a female, in the eyes other than my mom or my sisters <laughs> because I was like, I'll lust. Like, I will lust. I just, hey, how are you? Oh, doing good. Yep, yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was awkward. During that time, I was a social introvert. I didn't want to be around people. I wanted to stay to myself and read the Bible. I was absolutely broken. And I thought it's just going to be this way the rest of my life. Because that's how bad I am. That's how sinful I am. I need to. I was shattered. And it occurred to me the Lord gave my wife that dream. The Lord set me up. I went back to Isaiah 30. I was like, this is Isaiah 30. And man. There's a beauty in the breaking. And the beauty is what God is doing with it. He has a reason for it. It's soul surgery is what it is. And there's a few verses that are so precious. And one of them, after that breaking moment, when I was so broken, over that next year, year and a half or so, Isaiah 30 verse 15 became very precious to me. And if you're a broken person in this room today, This is for you today, and this is the Lord's instruction to you. Because when you're broken, when you're shattered on the floor, you're like, what do I do? What do I do? Now what? And this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, verse 15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and in trust is your strength. Now, of course, he's speaking to the nation of Israel, and he says, but you would have none of it. He's like, I'm I'm trying to get you to realize all you have to do is turn to me. All you have to do is turn away from your evil. All you have to do is turn from that, turn to me, and rest. And then other than that, you don't have to do anything. In quietness and in trust is your strength. Do you have the picture of the broken pieces on the floor from last weekend on the stage? This is... One of the services after Matt broke that vessel. 
and it felt very significant to me. And I was like, I need to take a picture of that. When you get broken, when you get shattered, you feel like this. And you're like, Lord, what do I do? Where's the hope in this? And he's like, here's what you do. Repent and rest. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't stop repenting. That's not continuing to feel sorry and feel bad. Repenting is turning to the Lord. Don't stop turning your heart to me. Don't stop turning your mind to me. That season initiated a a season of my life where I was constantly focused on Jesus, where I was drinking in scripture every day by the chapters, you know, turning to him. And he says in quietness and trust, quietness and trust. When you feel like this, what now? This is your job. Quietly trust that in due time, the Lord will redeem this. The Lord will put you back together. Saturday night last week, as Matt was preaching, I was remembering my journey, my shattering. On Sunday morning, I sat through his message again, and I saw him break the jar again. And man, if you've ever been shattered and you don't trust your own heart, one of the fears you can live with is that the Lord's going to just shatter you again. It's just a life of being shattered. He's just going to shatter you. He's going to shatter you. You get built up. You get shattered again. And I was like, it's not like that. Like, we, we're not meant to stay shattered on the floor. I just felt that in my spirit. I was like, Lord, will you show me? What is it? What is the redemption? What does it look like? And on Sunday, I was asking him that. And this memory came into my mind. Well, I remembered learning about several years ago a particular form of Japanese pottery artisanship. And it's called kintsugi. And it came into my mind. And as soon as it came into my mind, I began weeping. Kintsugi is a Japanese form of repairing pottery. And it means golden joinery or to join with gold. And it was developed in the 13, 1400s by one of the, uh, you know, emperors of Japan. And the story goes that his favorite teapot was broken and it was a unique piece. It could not be recreated. You know, they didn't have industrial mass production back then. And so this unique piece he loved so much, drank tea every day, you know, gets broken. It says he, the story goes, he sent it off to China to have it repaired. And when it came back, they had repaired it with staples, which was common. And and some people still do this today. It looks something like this. I think we have a picture of it. Nope. The other picture. Keep going. There's a, yeah, there we go. So this is him on the left. That's like a real painting of this supposed guy. And uh, this is what it looks like to repair pottery with staples. His favorite teapot was broken. He gets it back and he's like, this is ugly. Like it worked. It was functional again, but it, it, the beauty of it was ruined. And so he said, the story goes that he took this teapot and he gave it to his own artisans. And he said, I want you to figure out a new way to repair pottery to where it's not, it restores the function. It's functional again, but it's also beautiful. And they began working. And what they came up with was kintsugi. It means to join with gold. And what they do is they take a particular form of lacquer made out of tree sap. It's very strong. And they, they slowly glue all the pieces back together. But they mix in real gold. They grind up gold into a powder. They mix it into the lacquer. And then they mix gold into the lacquer. They join the pieces back together. And then once it's joined, they sand it. They get it smooth. Then they do a fine gold coating over all the cracks. And... The result is this piece that's back together, but it has, everywhere there was a crack, there is this gold filament that is filling in that crack. And so it's joined back together with gold. And it comes from this philosophy that the Japanese have where they find beauty and imperfection and they embrace the, the breaking as part of the beauty of the story of a particular piece. What's interesting is you can have a common piece of pottery that gets broken and they will send it to a kintsugi master. And because this master artisan spends a lot of time, hours and hours, repairing the pottery and because of the gold that is used in the repair process, 
Many times the repaired piece, also because now it's very unique, no, no, no jar shatters the same way. And because of the artisan who puts the time into the repair and because of the gold used, many times the piece will become even more valuable than before it was ever broken. I have a picture here of a modern piece of Kintsugi pottery. Um, and this vase right now is up for auction at over $20,000. Just to give you an idea. And so as Matt was preaching, and I, this was coming back into my mind last week, I got very emotional. And, and the very next image that came into my mind was hundreds of prayer sessions that I've done as part of being a pastor in this church. Hundreds of times that I've sat in these prayer sessions and people start pouring out and I realize this is their shattering moment. They're, they've already been shattered and they're just telling, they're bringing their pieces uh, to talk about it or, or sometimes it's in the moment they're getting shattered as they're pouring out their confession. And time and time again, the Lord will be like, oh, well, that's kind of like what you went through. And sometimes people are embarrassed and they're like, oh, I'm so ashamed, but oh, here's what I've done. Or, oh, I'm so embarrassed, but here's what happened to me. Or, oh, it's so hard and, and here's what I've been through. And time and time again, not just the story I've shared today, many other stories in my life, stories where I've been broken, stories where I've sinned, stories where people have sinned against me and it broke me. I've been able to sit in prayer sessions and go, huh, can I tell you a little bit of my story? Because I feel like with the comfort I've received, I'm supposed to help comfort others now. And you know what it's like? Can you put that picture back up of that expensive vase? This is the image that came in my mind last week of these prayer sessions and people pouring out their brokenness. And now where I'm at, how many years, 15, 18 years later, after this shattering experience and people who don't know my story and I'm able to go, you know, I've actually been through exactly what you've been through. And, oh, I was absolutely shattered. And let me show you. And here's what it was like for me. But now as I'm retracing the shattering in my life, it's radiating gold. And do you know what the gold is? It's the grace of God. It's the glory of God's grace in his redemption of my story. Chuck Colson was a famous politician. They called him a president maker because he was the man behind the scenes helping them get elected, and he worked with Nixon, and he famously helped in the Watergate scandal um, and got caught, and he famously went to prison for it. And in prison, Chuck Colson uh, got saved. He found Christ. And when he came out of prison, he started a prison ministry called Prison Fellowship because he realized how many people need Jesus in prison, and he realized how, how ready they are to receive truth when they're in that broken state. And prison fellowship is probably one of the greatest prison ministries that's ever existed, and it's still going strong today. And he wrote a book called Loving God. And in that book, he said that once he got out of prison, he, started, he became famous for prison fellowship. Still is to this day. And he said, God chose the one thing in which I could not glory for his glory. God not only wants to redeem your sin and your brokenness and your trauma and the abuse you went through. He wants to redeem even the shame of it. And when he redeems it and when he heals you of it and when he sets you free, his grace puts you back together. But let me tell you, you will never be the same. There is no going back. And that is a profoundly good thing. And you're of more value to him. In this repaired, redeemed state. You know why? Because now you're useful to him. He can use your story to help and to bless other people. Can you put the picture back up of all the shattered pieces on the floor? What the Lord showed me this week and what I feel like he wants me to tell you. 
is there are times he will shatter you, but you're not meant to stay shattered. He will shatter you to break you. Do you know what kind of animal kicks against the goads? An unbroken one. An ox that's not broken, a horse that's not broken, a mule that's not broken. What is an unbroken animal? They're an animal that does not listen to the voice of their master. They're an obstinate animal. They're not yielded. They want to do their own thing. They're self-reliant. So what does it mean to break an animal? It means to train them and to teach them that they have a master and it will go well for them to listen to the voice of the master. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you want a completely shattered ox for an animal? Do you want a workhorse or a mule that is completely shattered? In other words, do you want Eeyore? Oh, you broke his will, but, but now he's so shattered. You're like, come on, let's go work. Oh, I'm just no good. I can't do anything right. I'm a piece of trash. Might as well stay in this stall all day. You can beat me. I deserve it. No, you don't want a shattered animal that can't even get out of bed. You want an ox that's confident. You want an animal that knows, I can do the job. Oh, you want an animal that when he gets that yoke on, he's like, I was born to pull this thing, and I can pull this thing all day long. Let's go. You don't want a shattered ox, but you do want a broken one. God will shatter you to break you. He shatters you to break your self-will, and your self-reliance. He shatters you to bring you to the end of yourself. And for certain really special people, he will do it sometimes without you really realizing what's happening. And so in the shattering, you can wonder, where are you, God? What are you doing? You're like, oh, he's up there going, oh, I'm the one who threw you down. I, 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 you didn't fall off the shelf. I shoved you off. Yeah, that was me. That's where I was. That was me. And your mind can swirl. But I want to encourage you, if you're in that place, to respond like Job. You know what? Because the enemy will come and go, yeah, God did do that. That was God. You can't trust him. He's not good. How could a good and loving God let you go through that. But Job said, naked I came into this world, naked I will be depart. I brought nothing with me and I can take nothing with me and I will say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And he said, though he would slay me, yet I will hope in him. And some people get slayed, they get put off the sh- pushed off the shelf, they get shattered, and they do not trust the Lord in the shattering, so they don't get to see the glory of the repairing. And that's a dangerous place to be. Why does God shatter you, and when he shatters you, it's mercilessly, so there's not even a piece left for scooping water or a coal out of the fire? Because I've seen people, when they get shattered... You know what they do? And it's like pathetic. They're in a pathetic state and their sin is just broken. They've been exposed. People know. Now what? And you know what they do sometimes? Instead of running to Jesus and saying, you're right. I'm sorry. Can you put me back together? They grab one of these bigger pieces and they think, well, I still got this. Well, I can still live off of this. And they take that bigger broken piece and they're trying to get some water and live off of that. And they go back to the thing that caused the shattering. And the Lord goes, no, I'm not doing that. So when I shatter you, it's going to be merciless. It's going to be like little pieces. If, last night I had a bigger piece of pottery that Matt broke last night. I got a big piece and a little piece. And I took that big piece And I showed the people, I said, you know, if you, in their day and age, you could use that to scoop some water like a cup or 
Um, if their fire would, their neighbor's fire would go out, they might, instead of having to make a fire by hand again, which takes forever, you could just scope a few coals and you give it to your neighbor and say, here, take that to your tent or your house and you can keep that as just a broken piece of pottery. But if you try to do that, you can't get any water with this. You, if you try to get a coal now, you're going to burn your thumb. It's, it's useless. And that's the point. Our lives are useless without Jesus. That no broken piece you can't keep going back to the broken things. You can't keep going back to the broken cisterns. There's no life in it. You might take one of those bigger pieces and, and oh, I'm getting some water so it feels good again and I'm just going to keep going with this. No. Scripture says that's like a dog returning to its vomit. Don't do that. And so last night I took that bigger piece and I set it on the ground. I said, this is what the Lord's going to do in his grace. And I stomped it again until it was like this. But that was the only big piece I had, so I can't do it again. <laughs> a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. So if you're in a broken place today, that's really good. Because he's near to the brokenhearted. And listen, if you will trust him, repentance and rest, quietness and trust is your strength. He will rebuild you. You will be glorious. You will be beautiful. You will radiate the glory of God's grace. He'll use every aspect of your story to help and encourage other people. And so things that the enemy sent to destroy you, he will use to save other people through you. To set other people free through your story. That's powerful. That's the glory of his redemption. But you've got to trust him. You got to stop trying to put the pieces back yourself. Only he can do that. And you say, Lord, you've broken me. Would you put me back together the way you want? And I'm just going to quietly trust you. And so one of the best things you can do in that moment is to worship. And so I'm going to invite the, the team back up. And we're going to enter into a time of worship today to close. And I'm just, if you're broken here today, if you're shattered here today, just worship him and I'm going to pray that his healing comes to you today but there's some of you who you need broken you need shattered and it doesn't always have to get to that point to be honest with you if you're willing to break your own will and your own pride then maybe God doesn't have to shatter it if you're willing to humble yourself if you're willing to confess if you're willing to turn from sin, and listen, there are some sins you can turn from and you stop walking in it and you repent to the Lord, I'm sorry, and he gives you grace and you're good. Sometimes you can't get free of it on your own. And this is what I would say. How do you know if a confession to another person is needed? And I would say if you've confessed to God and then you're still struggling in it, that's when you know I need to talk to somebody. This is a stronghold and I can't break free of this myself. And if you will humble yourself and you'll talk to a trusted Christian person, and it needs to be a trusted Christian person, because even if they're a nice, loving, good friend and they're not a believer, they're going to they're gonna fall into one of two categories most likely. One is they will either coddle your sin and tell you it's not that big of a deal, or they will judge you for it, and they don't know how to administer the grace of God. And they're not going to pray with you, which is... Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and you will be healed. And so we have a spiritual health team here where you can meet with people and do a prayer session. And we do this all the time. And you can share what you're struggling with. It could be a sin in your life, a stronghold. It could be you were abused and you had trauma growing up and you've just been struggling. It could be that you got cheated on and you got divorced, not by your own will, you were the victim, and you've just been a broken mess ever since because someone else broke you. And then you, get, you hate that they even have the power to be able to do that. And you've just been raging, and you've been hurting since then. It could be something like that. You know, people, sometimes we break ourselves, sometimes God breaks us, and sometimes other people break us. And other people do have that power. Because when you love people and you open your heart, and you come into covenant with people, when they break that covenant, man, it hurts. When there's betrayal, love is vulnerable. 
And the Lord wants to administer her, his healing. And he wants to pour out the glory of his grace on you. And so for some of you, you need to set up a prayer session. And if you want to do that, just email us, hello at free people, and say, I would just like a prayer session. That's all you have to say. They're confidential. Anything you shared in that session stays in that session, unless you're the one that wants to share it later. And so some of you might need to do that today. If you're watching online, you can do that as well. If you live far away, we could set up a Zoom call. We've done that before. So would you guys stand? We're going to enter into a time of worship. And I just want to say, I'm going to ask our ministry team to come up. Actually, no, the Lord says not, not yet. No ministry team yet. We're just going to worship. The front is open. If you want more space to kneel down or whatever, you can stay at your seat. You can sit down. You can do whatever you want. But this is our time. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to spend a few minutes. And we're just going to worship him today.